Let's hear God's word, Ruth chapter 3, beginning with verse 1. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, shall I not seek security for you, that it may be well with you? Now Boaz, whose young women you were with, is he not our relative? In fact, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Therefore, wash yourself and anoint yourself, put on your best garment, and go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. Then it shall be when he lies down that you shall notice the place where he lies, and you shall go in, uncover his feet, and lie down, and he will tell you what you should do. And she said to her, All that you say to me I will do. So she went down to the threshing floor and did according to all that her mother-in-law instructed her. And after Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was cheerful, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. And she came softly and covered his feet and lay down. Now it happened at midnight that the man was startled and turned himself. And there a woman was lying at his feet. And he said, Who are you? So she answered, I am Ruth, your maidservant. Take your maidservant under your wing, for you are a close relative. Then he said, Blessed are you of the Lord, my daughter, for you have shown more kindness at the end than at the beginning, in that you did not go after young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you request, for all the people of my town know that you are a virtuous woman. Now it is true that I am a close relative. However, there is a relative closer than I. Stay this night. And in the morning it shall be that if he will perform the duty of a close relative for you, good, let him do it. But if he does not want to perform the duty for you, then I will perform the duty for you as the Lord lives. Lie down until morning. So she lay at his feet until morning, and she arose before one could recognize another. Then he said, Do not let it be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. Also he said, Bring the shawl that is on you and hold it. And when she held it, he measured six ephahs of barley and laid it on her. Then she went into the city. When she came to her mother-in-law, she said, Is that you, my daughter? Then she told her all that the man had done for her. And she said, These six ephahs of barley he gave me, for he said to me, Do not go empty-handed to your mother-in-law. Then she said, Sit still, my daughter, until you know how the matter will turn out, for the man will not rest until he has concluded the matter this day. Amen. We'll end our reading there at the end of Ruth chapter 3. Let's once again ask for God's help in a brief word of prayer. Our gracious Heavenly Father, Thank you for this portion of your word. Thank you for the beautiful story of the book of Ruth. We pray, Lord, that you would help us today as things were so different, as customs and habits and practices were very unusual from our point of view. We pray that you would nonetheless help us to appreciate the meaning of these things and not just what they meant for Ruth, for Naomi, but also how they fit into the history of your redemption, how they relate to us today. We pray that our souls would be refreshed and encouraged, that we'd be prepared to partake of the Lord's Supper through our time in your word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Presumably everybody by now remembers the main outlines of the story of Ruth. A family went away from Bethlehem to Moab, where the two sons in this family got married. Then all the men of the family died. Elimelech, Malon, and Kilion died, leaving three widows, Naomi and her two daughters-in-law. Naomi and Ruth come back to Bethlehem, whereas Orpah stays behind in Moab. And Naomi comes back with the feeling that the hand of the Lord has been heavy 
against her that she went out full and came back empty. Well, whether she appreciates it or not, she does have Ruth. And Ruth goes out to work, comes in God's providence to the field of a close relative, a virtuous man named Boaz, and there she's been gleaning for the past several weeks, six weeks or maybe a little bit more. Now, she's done well there. Boaz has been generous to her. He hasn't made her wait until the very end to glean, but has allowed her to follow close on the heels of the harvesters, as well as allowing her to take water for the workers and so forth. So she's been well treated. But now they've reached the end of the harvest. The grain has been gathered. It's being winnowed. Gleaning season is over. So what do you do now? What's the next step? In an agricultural society, the work that a gleaner could do has come to an end. There's not really much more for her to do unless something changes. But Naomi has had enough time now that she's recovered a little bit of initiative. The Lord's provision for them, his mercy to them through Boaz, has encouraged Naomi. And so she begins to think not, how can Ruth be a blessing to me, but how can I be a blessing to Ruth. And so she determines to seek security, it says in verse 1. We could also translate that rest. To find a permanent situation, a settlement, as it used to be called, for Ruth. Some place where Ruth could have stability, continuity, the amount of security that's available to us in this life, which isn't perfect, but which is definitely better than nothing. And Naomi determines to seek that through trying to find a husband for Ruth. Now, that was in keeping with the habits, the practices of the time where most marriages were arranged by parents. So Naomi is going to stand in. And, you know, there is an observation to make along the way here, and it is that for most people, your best shot at The amount of stability that is available in an uncertain and a difficult world is through marriage. Marriage sometimes gets a bad rap these days because it has its difficulties. It's not a panacea. It's not a solution to everything. And, of course, marriage gets a bad rap because so many marriages wind up broken and shattered, falling apart in one way or another. The incidents of young people getting married... Whenever you say something like this, it's with the understood qualification that statistics are not to be trusted. I don't trust statistics. I think they can be manipulated in a number of ways. But according to the statistics, very few young people are getting married compared to how it used to be. And people are delaying marriage more and more. Well, there's a number of reasons for that, which we won't go into. But when Naomi says that she's going to seek out rest for Ruth, this is reflecting traditional wisdom. This is reflecting human common sense that's built on how God created the world, that's built on how the world functions. Even for people who struggle with mental illness, their best shot at being as stable as possible is through a long-term relationship that doesn't disappear, that is steady. And steadfast. That is what God meant marriage to be. And that is one of the things that makes marriage worth pursuing. 
so that you have the advantage of that stability for yourself, but also so that you're in a position to give that stability, to contribute to giving that stability to somebody else as well. And so Naomi's plan here is that Ruth is going to go and is going to rattle Boaz's chain a little bit. (laughs) Boaz is legally in a position to do something about their situation. He's close to them. He's part of their overall clan circle. And they know that he's a good man. But apart from being generous to Ruth, apart from commending her and providing for her, he hasn't, in a day-by-day way, not in a permanent long-term way, he hasn't done anything. So Naomi's plan is for Ruth to bring herself to Boaz's attention in a way where it's hard to misinterpret the meaning of what is going on. So when he's not sleeping at home, when he's camping out on the threshing floor, she'll have the ability to secure a private interview with him and those actions will be unmistakable and then he'll know what Ruth and Naomi would like to have happen and the ball will be in his court. It's possible that one reason that Boaz has not been thinking this way is that he seems to be older than Ruth. You notice both Naomi and Boaz call Ruth my daughter, which makes sense if Boaz and Naomi are about the same age and Ruth is from the next generation if she's 20 years or thereabouts younger than they are. Well, of course, Boaz may not have been thinking about Ruth as a marriage prospect if she is 20 years or so younger than he is. Another reason he may not have been thinking about it is he may not have known whether she was still in mourning for her deceased husband. But Ruth is going to make that clear. Now, one of the questions that comes up around here is, what exactly did Ruth do? And there are a number of commentators who feel very strongly that this was a seduction. You know, I think people who take that view, I think that says more about the interpreter than it says about the text. I think it says more about the limitations of their imagination. I think it says more about where their minds immediately go than it says about what the text tells us. Because the text does not say that. The text does not imply that. The text does not suggest that. And the character of Boaz and Ruth is against that. So what happens? Well, Naomi says, I'm going to seek rest for you. Get dressed Get perfumed, go down to the threshing floor, wait until Boaz lies down, then go to where he's lying down and lie down at his feet. When he wakes up, which he's probably going to do because you're going to uncover his feet, so at some point they're going to get cold. When he wakes up, then he'll talk to you and he'll tell you what he wants you to do. So Ruth follows those instructions. She goes down. When Boaz wakes up, he asks who she is. Who are you? Who are you who are lying at my feet? I mean, why are you this close to me? And so she says, I am Ruth, your maidservant. And then she asks, take your maidservant under your wing. Now, that might remind you, in the previous chapter, Boaz had said to her that she had come to take refuge under God's wing. And now she says, take me under your wing. And wing could be a reference to the edge of his garment or even the bottom of his blanket. She might be saying, spread a covering over me. But what does that mean? It means, take me under your shelter. Ruth is proposing marriage to Boaz. 
Boaz likes that. He says, blessed are you of the Lord, my daughter. He's happy with that. And here's one reason we think that maybe the age gap was a reason for his hesitancy. You have shown more kindness at the end than at the beginning in that you did not go after young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you request. For all the people of my town know that you are a virtuous woman. Now, we need to stop here for a moment. We've already made application to the desirability of marriage as a permanent settlement, as something that gives you your best shot at stability in this life in human terms. But we need to qualify a little bit now with regard to that. Two qualifications. First, I am not suggesting that the procedure Ruth adopted here is the procedure our young ladies should adopt in seeking for a husband. Ruth was following her mother-in-law's instructions. Boaz was a person of tested and proved character. And because of the circumstances, he needed to have his chain rattled. Now, there are situations where a young man might need to have his chain rattled to say something or step up. But this is not what we normally recommend. Don't wait until he goes camping and then track him down and all of a sudden appear in his tent. I'm not recommending that. Let me also qualify that marriage does give you your best shot at stability in this world when both people are virtuous. You might remember when Boaz was introduced in chapter 2, Chapter 2, verse 1, it says, There was a relative of Naomi's husband, a man of great wealth. Now, that phrase, a man of great wealth, translates the Hebrew phrase that means a man of worth, a worthy man or a virtuous man. In chapter 3, when it says, Everybody knows that you are a virtuous woman, it's the exact same phrase, only in the feminine instead of in the masculine. Now, in Chapter 2, they translated it as a man of great wealth because it's going to talk about his fields and his workers. But as I've already said before, I think the real understanding ought to be here that he was a man of worth and that worth had led to prosperity and prominence in the community, but his worth was not exhausted by prosperity and prominence. He was a good man. Well, with regard to Ruth, they don't translate it as a woman of great wealth because we already know she was among the poorest of the poor in Bethlehem. They translate it with reference to her character because that's what's been drawn out by the narrative. But the same phrase, the only difference being masculine or feminine, is used of both Boaz and Ruth. Now, with reference to marriage, that's a very important application. Marriage does give you your best shot at stability, but... You need to marry somebody who's compatible. Boaz and Ruth are both people of virtue. And we can go beyond just saying you need to marry someone compatible. You need to marry somebody who is of virtue. Ruth is blessed because she didn't just look for somebody her own age. Ruth is blessed because under Naomi's direction, she sought out somebody, a person of virtue. Now, what's involved in that? Well, I think we can probably highlight at least three ingredients. And I'm not saying these are the only three, but these are three ingredients that rise to prominence in the book of Ruth. One, you can highlight 
that to be a person of virtue is to be a person who puts God first. You remember with reference to Ruth, we're told that she came to seek refuge under the Lord's wings. She left everything for the sake of God, everything that was familiar to her except Naomi. So you can see that very clearly in the case of Ruth, right? She fears the Lord. God is first. God is primary. God is fundamental. Well, you see that in Boaz as well, not quite in the same way, but how's he introduced? He's introduced saying to his reapers, the Lord be with you. When he's talking to Ruth, he says, blessed are you of the Lord. Or he says, as the Lord lives, I'll settle this matter today. He lives before the face of God in big issues, who he's going to marry, and in small issues, how he says hello. Boaz is a person who is consistently God-fearing, consistently godly in every part of his life. So you see it in one way with Ruth. You see it in a different way with Boaz. But with both of them, you see what makes them a person of virtue, what makes them worthy. Well, they serve the Lord. Well, to those who are not married, that needs to be non-negotiable. It doesn't matter how cool. It doesn't matter how gorgeous. It doesn't matter how whatever other quality you might put forward. Lacking this, that other person you might be interested in is disqualified. That needs to be non-negotiable. There's no wiggle room here. What else goes into this? Well, kindness. And, and by kindness, I don't just mean basic politeness. There should certainly be some basic politeness. But I mean real generosity, real consideration of others, real desire, ability to go above and beyond for others. Was Ruth kind? Was she loyally loving? Well, yes, she was. Who's taking care of Naomi? And Boaz says that her later kindness, her kindness in proposing marriage to him, even went beyond that. And what about Boaz? Is he kind? Well, does he notice the strange young woman who wants to glean in his fields? And does he go above and beyond to provide for her? Does he let her glean? Does he make sure there's stuff for her to glean? Does he let her have water? Does he share lunch with her? Yes, he does. In Boaz's generosity, Naomi saw that the Lord had not forsaken his kindness to the living and the dead. This is another very important quality. Who is a worthy woman? Who is a worthy man? Well, not somebody who's not loyally loving. They need to have this quality of kindness. There's another quality that we can highlight as well. And that is the quality of work, of hard work, of diligence. Ruth does not sit around on the couch. Ruth gets up and goes out to the field and gleans. And what does she find? She finds a man of worth who's there checking in on his workers. He's personally involved in threshing the grain. He spends the night at the threshing floor. That's how involved he is in his work. He's not checked out and leaving everything to somebody else. He's there. He's active. He's participating. So we could add other qualities from other parts of Scripture. But from the book of Ruth, what should you look for in a husband or a wife? 
You should look for a person of virtue, somebody who fears the Lord, somebody who is loyally loving, who is kind in that sense. You should look for somebody who works, somebody who's not lazy or idle, somebody who will contribute to the well-being of the family, not somebody who will just coast and let themselves be taken care of. Those are three very important qualities. And before we move on from this point, I want to say this. Unless you are a person of worth, most likely you will not be able to attract a person of worth. Why would somebody who fears God take an interest in you if you don't? Why would somebody who is loyally loving take an interest in you if you're a jerk all the time? Why would somebody who works hard take an interest in you if you're a lazy bum? In other words, don't focus most of all on ruling out people you already know because of the strikes that there may be against them, because of the ways they get on, under your skin or on your nerves. Focus your attention on being a man, a woman of worth, so that when you run across somebody like Ruth or somebody like Boaz, you actually catch their eye because you're what they've been looking for. You're what they've been hoping to find. Don't go nuts desperately trying to track down a spouse at any cost. Cultivate virtue so that when God brings the right person along, they'll be intrigued, they'll be interested. However, the burden of the message is not just about you ought to get married and this is how. I mean, please take that away with you. Not that everybody is required to be married. There is a gift of singleness, and that's okay too. But for most people, this is their best shot at stability. For most people, this is what obtains. And if that's not the plan that God has for you, that's because God has something that is better for you planned. But don't rule it out without thinking about it. Don't rule it out without giving it proper consideration. But we need to move on because Ruth chapter 3 is not written as a marriage manual. It's not written to guide us in finding a spouse, although it certainly has some very relevant applications to that end. Ruth chapter 3 is part of the story of how God overcomes Naomi's emptiness, how he fills her back up Ruth chapter 3 is part of the story of how God provides for Ruth. She came to seek shelter under God's wings. Is she going to be disappointed? Is God going to fail to provide for somebody who's given up everything to follow him? Well, hopefully we know the answer to that. None of those who put their trust in the Lord are disappointed or put to shame. God is not ashamed to be called our God, the God of his pilgrim people, because he has provided for us a city, according to Hebrews. In other words, the, the flow of thought there is that God would be embarrassed if people trusted him and he failed them. God would be embarrassed to have people seeking him and not have something to give them. Well, God is not going to be embarrassed. God is not going to be found wanting. And so Ruth chapter 3 tells us how God worked to fill Naomi back up from her emptiness, to provide rest, a place for Ruth, to show that when she took shelter under the shadow of his wings, she did get 
what she was looking for. She was given wonderful blessing. And this is happening through Boaz. This is one of the reasons that Boaz is a critical character in the book of Ruth. God works through ordinary people, ordinary people of virtue like Boaz, but God worked through him. And in that working through Boaz, Boaz became a type of his great descendant, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, what stands out about Boaz here? Well, you notice he's very prompt. Naomi mentions that. She's like, he's not going to rest until he has this issue taken care of today. And Boaz goes right away as soon as it's light. He loads Ruth up with six scoops of barley and heads off to the gate to take care of business. You see Boaz's energy, his diligence, his commitment. He's going to follow through and get things wrapped up as quickly as he can. You see Boaz's generosity. He's got stuff to take care of. He's excited about all of this, but he doesn't forget about Naomi. He sends six scoops of barley home with Ruth for her. You see his concern. He's, he understands that somebody might cut ahead of him in line, and so he sends Ruth away as soon as it's safe, but in a way that will protect her reputation so that there won't be any strike against her when this other fellow comes to consider the compound proposition. So I think you see a number of good qualities in Boaz here. But the main thing, the fundamental thing, is he goes above and beyond. She says, take your maidservant under your wing, for you are a close relative, Ruth says to him. He says, I am a close relative. He is in a position to redeem, but there's somebody who's closer. Boaz is concerned to do things right. But here's the interesting thing. The law of redemption did not require Boaz to do this. The kinsman redeemer had several responsibilities. He had the responsibility to get you out of slavery if he was able to. He had the responsibility to get your property out of being pawned away, basically. He had the responsibility to avenge you if somebody murdered you. But he did not have the responsibility to marry you, that wasn't part of the job. It wasn't embedded in the law. And yet, Ruth appeals to Boaz on the basis of that. What does that tell you? It tells you that Boaz was not a legalist who read the statute very closely and said, okay, this is all it requires of me, and this is all I'm going to do. He embraced the spirit of the law. He wanted to help, And because he wanted to help, he went above and beyond. Well, that certainly brings us to Christ. What law compelled Christ to be born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law? That was not a requirement. That was not some necessity of nature laid upon him. It wasn't written in the covenant of works that God made with Adam and Eve that if they sinned, God the Son would have to redeem them. That was above and beyond. It was because the character of virtue is not, I'll do the bare minimum that the law forces me to do. The character of virtue is to say, what's the direction? What's the meaning of the law? What is its desired outcome? Now, what can I do? So God the Son saw that the Father had the intention of blessing humanity, and he went above and beyond. 
Jesus didn't have to die on the cross for our sins, but he chose to because he is a virtuous man. He is a person of great worth. His kindness, his loyal love leads him to do more than was required. Now, I'm not saying that he brought us a salvation with things we didn't need. Every part of salvation answers to a part of our need. But we had no claim on salvation. We had no deserving of salvation. We had no reason to give to him to say, you ought to do this for me. It really is your obligation. No, it was not. Had Boaz said, no, Ruth, I'm not going to do that. Nobody could have said that he was breaking the law. Nobody could have said that he was doing something wrong. Boaz could have said no. But Boaz did not. Now, Boaz had a good reason. He knew that Ruth was a woman of virtue. Well, here you see the contrast. Did Christ know that we were a bride worth winning? (laughs) No, he did not. All our beauty, all our desirability comes from him. It is his gift. So why did Christ do this? Why did Christ save us? Well, because he's loyally loving, but because he's loyally loving in a sovereign way where we're chosen and because we're chosen, he works in us to make us what we ought to be, to make us a bride without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. But that is certainly not how he finds us. Boaz points us to Christ. But Christ transcends. Christ surpasses Boaz. Boaz loved a woman of worth and went above and beyond for her. Christ loved filthy, revolting sinners and went above and beyond for us. Amen.